Welcome back to episode 80 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by both Brian Joyner and Matt Collins of Over the Monster. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I forgot to uh, buy coffee yesterday, so I haven't had any coffee today, so I'm sluggish. Brian, how are you? Are you doing better than Matt? I assume so. I have coffee in front of me, but there's... You could have. Yeah, bought... I know. I could have went this morning to a coffee shop, but I didn't feel like leaving my apartment. This has come up. This is a recurring theme. Um, For me? Yeah, with we've talked about it one other time, so it is now a recurred theme. Yeah. Matt, do you get actual withdrawals from the caffeine? No, I mean I don't think so. I just I actually I don't drink energy drinks, but I had a free coupon. Or a coupon for a free Red Bull yesterday, so I drank a Red Bull this morning, and it I shouldn't have done that. Did it just go right through your system? No, it just was gross. Yeah, that's stuff's only good with vodka. Yeah, I guess. I don't <laughs> drink vodka. Yeah, it's a soulless liquor anyway. Well, let's get to the, uh, the Red Sox here, because that's what we're here to talk about. Um, well, let me just give you a quick note on uh, where you can find these gentlemen online. You can find Brian on Twitter at, at Brian Joyner, Brian with a Y, Joyner with an I, and you can follow Matt Collins at Over the Monster. Uh, you can also follow his personal handle if you want to hear about the Celtics at Matt R Y Collins, uh, and you can follow me at, at Dev Jake. So, quick standings check in for the Red Sox. Red Sox are a half game up on the Yankees. They're still second in baseball with a plus 97 run differential. Uh, we did have some news recently. Uh, Jalen Beeks made his debut yesterday and was very bad. He went six, or he he uh, he did not go six. That would have been great. Uh, he gave up six earned runs, three walks, struck out four guys, and allowed seven hits. Uh, guys, what were your first impressions of Jalen Beeks at the big leagues? I think he was nervous, adrenaline pumping. He was missing a ton of spots. Um, I I like Beeks. I always have, but he doesn't have like top tier stuff and so if you don't have top tier stuff and you're missing your spots as much as he was last night major league lineups saying to kill you especially i mean the tigers are not a good team but they're like a top five team in baseball against left-handed pitching so it was a tough matchup and he didn't do well yeah he looked i mean he definitely had young guy hair and uh you could sort of tell the way the night was going to go because of his young guy hair. That's my theory. I don't, no. I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's what the hell's like, young guy hair? Well, first of all, there's a lot of it. And second of all, uh, it, uh, you know, got to freshen up that do, man, if you're going to play at the major league level. Um, Are you anti-flow? Anyhow, this is the know, worst I'm take I've ever heard in my life. No, no, no. I'm pro-flow. That was not flow. That was like a block. You got that hair. You got to let it flow. Um, but yeah, he looked like a rookie. Do you have any hairdresser recommendations in the area for him? Yeah, just go to the barber shop and say, "Give me number one and a half blades." Boom. But then he, he had wouldn't... a mullet a couple of years ago, so he's getting better. I know that would no, Jake. That would increase his flow because aerodynamically, it's just much better that way. Oh, okay. So he'd be like a bird at that point. I mean, I guess that makes me a bird. <laughs> yeah, I always thought that about you. What the uh, hell is going on right now? 
it's a weird podcast by the way everybody we're recording this at 10 in the morning so uh, things are getting strange already um so he didn't do so well um the new pitch with him that everybody has been talking about is the use of the cutter um, he started using that pitch this year at Pawtucket. Uh, he's leading the International League in strikeouts when he came up. He had 80, I believe, uh, on the season. So he's looked really good. It was a little bit uncharacteristic of him to not have good control. He was missing his spots, like you guys said. Um, velocity was okay. Occasionally, he'd have a good secondary offering. But uh, by and large, this is probably not somebody who's going to be holding down a Red Sox rotation spot anytime soon. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. I agree, I guess I agree with Matt. Depend anytime soon. I def- define, Jesus Christ, I can't talk. Define anytime soon. I would like say, next year? no, by anytime this year. I don't expect oh. him to have a spot anytime this year. Yeah, that's probably true. Although I wouldn't be surprised if there was an injury in like a month or so and he has another good run in AAA, he'd get another shot, but... Yeah, no, that's fair. I thought you were talking about, like, for a few years, because I think you could take Palmer into spot next year. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. Yeah, he's going to be the spot starter, I think. Um, the role that... Well... Well, a, a, one of them. Yeah, um, Chandler Shepard's been really good lately in AAA, too. He could get a shot if another one comes up soon. Better him than Brian Johnson. Not, nothing against Brian Johnson, but as a long-term play, uh, obviously. I will say, though, after Beeks had a bad start, though, uh, Brian Johnson came in, pitched pretty well, struck out five guys, limited the damage, and then Velasquez mopped up the mess with that last inning. Um, I, I really like the way that uh, Cora has been using those guys, Johnson and Velasquez, as sort of ways to save the top four bullpen arms. Yeah, I, do. I mean, that's, yeah, that's definitely their best use. Yeah, and I just generally liked also that, especially in the last game of a three-game series against the Tigers, um, really exploring the freaky lineups, just getting everyone <laughs> some playing time. I know, yeah, I, really, I, I, I actually mean it, because you need players to play and trying them out in new positions. There's never really a good time to do it in the regular season, but if there is, yesterday was. And they lost, but... Well. I don't know. I mean, is the time to do that really a guy making his major league debut? I and mean, that's kind of like good luck, kid. We're kind of setting you up to fail right now. I feel like the pitching decisions and the lineup decisions are probably made on at this point in the season are probably made on two different tracks. Well, I hope not with the catcher. Well, no, not with the catcher, obviously. Um, but that. I feel like has to be a special case. There has to be a reason that Swihart was in there to catch uh, beaks out of anyone on any day. So I don't know what it is, but at the same time, it does not bother me the way it may bother you, but you might just need coffee. Yeah, I think that's probably my, I don't don't even think it really bothered me. It was just weird. You should have heard Tony Maz reacting to this lineup yesterday. I I should never. (laughs) You should never say the words, you should have heard Tony Mess. It was really funny. <laughs> he was about having a fit. Because... But this is part of the reason I don't get over – sorry, Jake, that I don't get worked up about it. Because in some ways, it's sort of just a trap. Like, And it's just – it's red meat. And 
for that, for like the Tony Mazes. So I just try not to engage with it on that level. It can be criticized, sure. And I think Matt makes a good point. Um, but uh, I try not to go there. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It was a bizarre lineup, though. I think the decision, oddly enough, the decision that made the most sense to me was putting Blake at catcher. Um, and I guess the reason why I feel that way is because Blake has caught Beaks before, um, and they wanted to get him some time at catcher, so that sort of made sense. But um, I think it's fair to question Vasquez at DH and not playing Holt in the outfield. Um, Travis in left field is less egregious to me, but I agree that when Beaks probably saw this lineup, he was like, Oh shit! Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have strike to pitch everybody really well. Hell, yeah. He used to know. He saw this lineup. He's like, oh, these are the guys I've played with my whole career, um, off and on. I look. I hear. I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, uh, the oh, it was a night game yesterday. Uh, but uh, I'm just I'm looking at the pitching decision and the fielding decisions on a, just two separate tracks because it was also. Uh, getaway day and just a natural time to rest some players. Well, there's getaway day, but oh, there's there's still home this weekend. Yeah, yeah they've got oh. Chicago. Okay. Well, whatever. Then they I think pre- I think like each individual decision is like justifiable and not that big of a deal. And I don't think it's a huge deal altogether either. But like when you start combining them, it gets a little stranger and stranger every time. Like I, if you bring up each one individually, it could be defended. Well, uh, well doing it all at, at once. Can you defend that, Matt? Vasquez? Well, I can't. Yes. Cora did. He, Cora said that. Uh, he's been hitting Swihart the ball 450 feet. So well, not, not only that, but he's uh, starting. He started Swihart last night, and Leon starting the next few games. He said so. He wanted to get Vasquez a chance to get in the lineup without having to sit for like four days in a row. Well, there's only and, 300 points separating him and Holt in o- OPS. But right there was now. a lefty on the mound. And this team has sucked against lefties, so I guess trying to stack righties, it's worth a shot. Well, yeah, I see the logic, I suppose. It's just... Uh, it's I agree with you. To it's play. People need to play. I mean, yeah. that... I'm not... But it's not like Vasquez is hurting for, for time right now. He's well, been getting a ton of time. Yes, and he's been hitting the ball 450 feet, as I mentioned. Against he Detroit. Be, he would have sat for like four Yes, but they were playing Detroit. Mm. All right. Well, what were your impressions of Blake Swihart at catcher, guys? No, I was going to ask you. You tell us. I mean, I thought he looked pretty good. I, I mean, it's it's difficult to to tell from one assignment, obviously, but he didn't do anything egregious. Uh, he did a pretty good job, you know, receiving. I thought. Uh, I'm not a scout by any means, but you know, I thought he called a decent game, and I don't know. He looked pretty good. He didn't look like he didn't belong out there. Yeah, that is the most important thing, I think. I still don't want him catching too much, but he was fine. You can live with him, though. Do you think this is a value play for him? Do you think that he's going to be someone who they are looking to build up his value to potentially shop him at the deadline? I mean, I think it's probably a consideration. I don't know if they're, like, approaching July with the mindset that they have to trade Swihart, but they're not going to be afraid to. Well, it's a value play either way because it's it creates in two ways. I mean, it creates value in the trade market, and if I mean he's sort of like 
the way you're describing him is sort of like refs. If you don't notice something bad, then it must have been fine. Or at least, you know, it's fine. And if they can get that out of him as a spot starting catcher, that's valuable too. Yeah, absolutely. Not noticing him is a great thing. Um, what did you guys make of the decision to play JD in the field? I thought this was a little strange simply because JD has been dealing with on and off back spasms lately. Uh, I know it clearly wasn't a big deal to him because he hit you know, his 20th home run right after being out of the lineup with back spasms. But when you're down a Mookie Betts um, and you're trotting out a lineup like this, it seems to me that you should be protecting him a little bit more and playing him at the DH position. So if it was my call, I would have probably started Holt in the field and put him at DH yesterday. And I think I'd probably do that going forward as much as I possibly can. I think it's just the lefties thing, Matt. I think Matt would yeah. agree. Whether or not, know. maybe not agree with the thought process, but I think that's what it was. I think it's hard to, like, get too up in arms about it because we have no idea how bad it is. I mean, it really doesn't seem that bad. So if you go into a game and he says he's feeling fine and there's nothing to worry about, they don't really have any reason not to take his word for it. So I agree they should probably avoid playing him in the outfield, but, I mean, you got to... You got to just kind of give him the benefit of the doubt in these situations because we have no idea. Right field, no less. Yeah, that was that was strange. That, like I said, everything was strange. I don't know. So he didn't like do anything too bad out there. Just a scheduled day off for Jackie, or was this all about the handedness of the pitcher? Well, I think both. Like they scheduled it for the lefty. Yeah. I don't know. Would have been good to see Jackie out there, even just for defense. It's not like the offense did much without him, so they probably could have used the defense. I don't know. The defense, as weird as it was, was not the reason Beeks uh, pitched so poorly. Yeah, the game was over after a half inning anyway. <laughs> Which, to be fair, like he definitely did not pitch well. But, I mean, that first inning, he gave up the double to Castellanos and the home run to uh, Martin, I think, hit it. I don't, I don't yeah, know. it was Leonis Martin, but, yep. Yeah. Uh, those are both flyouts in a lot of parks. Those are both Fenway specials. So, um, like I said, he still pitched bad, but there was some bad luck involved there too. Well, let's talk about the eighth inning situation, guys. Um, the bullpen has been fairly good this year. We've talked about that at length. Um, they've been using four guys in relatively high leverage situations uh, pretty often. They've been using Kimbrel, obviously. Um, Matt Barnes, Joe Kelly, and then Heath Hembry occasionally uh, in those high leverage spots. Um, who do you guys feel should be the sort of eighth inning or the high leverage guy outside of Kimbrell right now? Um, I mean, I think Barnes is better right now, but I don't think there's a huge difference between Barnes and Kelly anyways. So I'd probably just ride the hot hand. I'm definitely the hot ham mentality, but I think Kelly is better right now. Kelly's been pretty bad his last two outings. Yeah, I'm writing one of them off because it was garbage time. Fair enough. I don't know. That is fair, but okay. It is. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's, it's totally fair. <laughs> So, Brian, why Kelly over Barnes right now? Because I wrote about this today, and Barnes oh, has you been did. better you did. than him uh, in virtually every metric imaginable. 
uh, and has also gotten slightly more time in high leverage situations, although Kelly's been in the eighth more often. So what's what's the deal? Why do you like Kelly better? Uh, I could be convinced. Uh, let's go with Barnes then. I don't re- like as I said. <laughs> wow, that hand- was easy. No. <laughs> right. This is not something on which I have like a strong position because – Here's my here's my problem with the idea of the discussion. If we have a problem, and I'm not saying we do, but if Craig Kimbrell saying I need to, you, I think the key thing that you're saying is high leverage versus eighth inning. I don't want to declare an eighth inning person for the same reason. Like we're sort of even I who defend Craig Kimbrell's wanting to have a ninth inning thinks it would be better if he was more flexible because more flexible flexibility is better. And then the high leverage situation, you can get into very specific things with who's batting, especially if it would be lefties uh, with respect to Kelly, though maybe Barnes has been better against lefties too. Um, I don't have a big dog in the fight. I think that the leverage thing is a bigger um, thing, better thing to focus on than who's pitching the eighth. Well, so put it like this instead, if Kimbrough gets hurt, who is the top guy in the bullpen? I mean, I think they're going to go to Barnes. But... See, I think they'll go to Kelly. <sighs> right now, I mean, I think they are flexible too. Like, I don't think they're dug in on Kelly, but it just – it seems like Kelly's been their guy for the last three or four weeks. Kelly just looks the part more. Like, when Kelly's out there, he's pumping 100. He just looks like a closer. I think part of it is – the way he comes off when he's pitching because even when Matt Barnes is throwing well, I mean, he throws high nineties. He's got that great curveball, and he mixes in that splitter. He doesn't look as dominant as when Joe know, Kelly man. is good. I don't know <laughs> if I agree with that. I love me some Matt Barnes, that curveball when that curveball is going and he's throwing it for strikes. That is pretty fucking dominant. I mean, he I, does look like wild thing Vaughn. Like he, Kelly does. He definitely looks the part. That is not a that is not a question. What about what hey, what about the third party answer of Tyler Thornburg? Nah. Nah. I'm making nah, I'm dude. making a I'm making a face here showing that like that was a troll. That, that's a good that's a good uh that's a good way to play it on an audio format. Yeah. To make a face that nobody can see. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, maybe Th- Thornburg could be a guy who comes up and uh, replaces someone like Hector Velasquez, though, because I, when I was digging through the bullpen yesterday, I realized that Hector Velasquez's numbers are just way better than they should be right now. And I, I granted, I think he's one of these guys that um, has a really high pitchability level and can perform better than what his metrics say, but um, he is not a sub-two ERA pitcher. No, but... I agree with you that he's the kind of guy who's going to pitch better than his peripherals. Um, yeah, Thornburg's going to replace Ross either. Stripling. I know. He's no Ross Stripling. Get out of here with your fantasy team right now. No, no, but seriously, they had the same role on the two different teams of the swingman, and then uh, they both have under two ERAs. It's just that Stripling has the stats to back it up. Uh, so I, I actually mean it literally. I don't know that Velasquez is even a swingman anymore. He's been surpassed by Wright and Beeks now. He's I don't think they want to stretch him back right, out. Right, but he has been. Yeah, but I don't know if they want to stretch him back out. If they do, it's probably going to be in AAA. 
which I find pretty interesting. I didn't expect that. I thought he was going to be at least behind right on the uh, depth chart all year. Core likes metrics, man. He sees what we see. Yeah, well, he also has Bannister next to him, who's like a pitching genius. I like that guy. He is he is a cool dude. Has he ever spoken to Drew Pomerantz? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If he has, Drew isn't listening. Um, so, a couple more notes here. Mookie took some swings yesterday, felt okay. Do you guys think he gets activated when he's eligible? And I believe that's tomorrow, right? I think it's today. Was it today? Okay. Um, I thought they were saying that they wanted to activate him tomorrow. He wanted to get a rehab game in today mm-hmm. um, and then play back with the Red Sox tomorrow. Um, I heard that two days ago, I think. So I don't know. That might have changed since then. I don't know if you guys have heard anything else. But as far as I know, that was the plan. Brian, are you trolling Twitter right now? Can you tell us? I'm trolling you right now. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know, and I'm starting to – if he doesn't come back when the DL stint is over, I'm going to raise an eyebrow because lingering injuries in baseball can get reaggravated, And I know that they're waiting it out, but when you keep elongating the process – scares me a little bit so did you see do you guys see poppy on the uh broadcast last night did you guys watch the game yeah yeah he showed up out of nowhere yeah so so poppy was talking about this and he says that he's been telling mookie Betts to basically take it really easy with this because um the way he was describing it was an oblique you know we were thinking a core injury but really it seems like this is more of an oblique thing which is you know it is core but it's sort of more important to rotational stuff and he was basically telling him, like, hey, man, take this as easy as you possibly can because if you screw this thing up, it can turn into four to six weeks really quickly. So it seems like the team is sort of following that path and making sure that there's absolutely no pain whatsoever before they activate this guy. And I think that's the right move right now while they're in the arguably the softest part of their schedule all year. Yeah, um, definitely want to make sure he's A-OK before they do anything obliques are scary um they tend to last a long time if you don't take care of them when you can uh and the leadoff hitter magic appears to have not gone anywhere so yeah it's unbelievable uh, it's it really is so uh they can obviously sustain the loss i mean or have been able to uh because of as was jake was saying about the schedule so yeah, I'm. Uh, I do not. I guess the answer would be no. I don't expect him to come right back. Do you guys know Benintendi has raised his OPS by like 200 points in the last three weeks? Yes, yes Jake. Been very, very good. Jake, I'm not talking about my fantasy team, but yes, I did notice. That. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's he's about to catch up to Mitch Moreland. He's got a little ways to go, but his oh, OPS boy. is sitting at a very pretty 932 right now. Man, he is—he's uh, putting the beautiful swing on the ball now. Often, it's so pretty. Against the lefty last night too. That was—that was very encouraging. Sox have six guys now with OPSs over 850. That's pretty six. good. Yeah. 
Betts, Benintendi. Is Brock Holt one Island. of them? He is. Um, okay. I just lost count. Bogart. Yep, so you got Betts, Benintendi, J.D. Martinez, Bogart, Moreland Holt. Yep, there it is. Okay. Yep. And then there's a huge drop-off, though, because the next regular, the next highest regular is Devers at 681. Yowza. But, I mean, I guess if two-thirds of the lineup is over 900, it's... 850, Matt. Not 950. nine. 850. Like I said, man, I didn't have coffee today. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Devers real quick. It wasn't on the agenda, but I think it's worth talking about. What do you guys think the Sox should do with him? Just let him go out there and kind of hit through this thing, or do they need to give him a break? Um, I don't know. I th- I keep thinking that they just need to let him hit out of it, but the more I watch him, he might need some time in AAA. I mean, it's bad. It's really ugly. Um, when Pejoy, he's still like this. When Pejoy gets back, I wouldn't be totally shocked if he gets demoted. I agree. Um, it would seem weird, but as there's a tweet going around that Devers would be the youngest player on high A Salem, Salem, yeah, which is just incredible. So that's just something that's hard to keep in mind. And that last year at this time, we were all but convinced Todd Frazier was on the Red Sox starting at third because we're like, ah, Devers is too young. So I agree. Uh, Pedroia getting hurt makes it harder to rotate him out. But uh, with Brock Holt playing so well and Nunez there, I think you'll see it happen more often uh, until then. Yeah, Nunez at third is palatable, especially if you play Holt over at second. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not great defensively, but you can live with it. Yeah. Yeah, it might not be a bad idea to do it during this stretch, too, just to see if you can get him fixed a little bit for the uh the end of the month when things start to ramp up again um since we last talked drew pomerantz did go to the dl we had talked about what was going to happen with him brian and i last time um so they did end up dling him Wright came in for that spot start pitched amazingly well um what i want to know from you guys is is pomerantz going to get this job back when he is healthy because Wright looked really really good yeah, I mean, the same way that I'm not writing off Beaks because of that start, I'm not really, like, totally buying into Stephen Wright yet. Let's, uh, let's give it a couple more starts before we start saying that he's a lock for the rotation the rest of the year. He's an all-star, Matt, though. He is. So is Brock Holt. Yeah. So, Brock Holt wasn't suspended for domestic abuse, though. So, not really rooting for Wright, to be honest with you. Uh, I think that Pomerantz is, yeah, he's now fighting for the, uh, I think the fifth spot is sort of up for grabs. It it depends on how well Wright pitches and whether that was a one-off. I mean, he looked very dicey in the first two innings before he locked it down. Uh, But I think that they do believe in Pomerantz as a, as a starter and, as much as I make fun of him, he was pretty good last year. So it's not, I don't think anything needs, I don't think we can declare anything at this point because it doesn't even matter. He's hurt. 
Yeah, Wright's going to get some run here while Pomerantz is out for sure. Um, we don't really know what the timeline is going to be on Drew Pomerantz yet. Um, and if Wright pitches really well, I think that he does lock that job up. But if he pitches sort of bad or middling, I think that Pomerantz is going to get that job back simply because the guy's in a contract year and he has pitched so well the last couple of seasons. So I think they'll give him that chance. I wouldn't be surprised if they go with um, a six-man for a couple turns to try and figure it out or give uh, a little more time for it to sort itself out um, if Wright is kind of just middle of the road. I agree, and that would uh, go also toward trying to avoid this Chris Sale fatigue. Yeah, exactly. Get a little more rest for everybody. Yeah, that's a good idea, especially during this stretch. That wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, we did get some good news on Pedroia. Um, Pedroia had to go back on the DL after uh, dealing with some knee soreness. He visited New York, and apparently the only thing wrong with his knee is just a little bit of inflammation. So, uh, like I said on the podcast last time, not worried about this too much. It seems like he's going to be back in relatively quick period of time. Are you guys concerned at all? A little. I mean, you went on the DL a week after coming back. I... Yeah, but I've, I I just get the sense that that's sort of like they said again, just a, a an irritation. Yeah, they said the goal though was for him not to come back until he was fully ready. He wouldn't have to go back on the DL. So for it to happen so quickly, yeah, but a little discouraging. Who are you dealing with? You're gonna stop Dustin Pedroia from playing baseball? Good luck. I mean, right. Like, I feel like that the problem is not that they want to hold their standard of readiness. It's just Dustin Pedroia, I think, will potentially lie about his standard of readiness to get on the field. What time does the Sox start tonight? Seven. Yeah, Dustin Pedroia is already at the park. Um, I don't think that's true. <laughs> Dude basically <laughs> sleeps there. That I mean, you're referring to that Sports Illustrated anecdote from like – from a long time ago, right? Do you he know what I'm talking kids. about? He does well, have he, kids. He had kids in the story, and he lived in a high-rise. Yeah, I know. He would watch until the dude came and unlocked the door, and then he'd run over to the stadium. He's, he's I, wired. I cannot different. relate to that kind of motivation. <laughs> and that's why Matt's not a professional baseball player, reason six. Wait until you have kids and you open up the gate by the staircase. They will immediately just turn and run for it so they can go up the stairs. Same thing. I've had cats, so I know that. Yeah, well, that's that's, that's a terrible mistake on your part. (laughs) Yeah, that's a long commitment. That's like a 20-year commitment right there. They were never my cats. They just were cats of people that I lived with. Okay. Well, let's get to the draft. The Red Sox finished the uh, 2018 draft here, and I wanted to talk about a few of the top guys that they took. Matt, you've been following this draft very closely, which is why we are excited to have your expert opinions on here. Um, Again with the we. Again with the we. (laughs) Where I am. Brian's very disappointed in you already. That's Uh, it. So the number one pick for the Sox, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name, Tristan Cassis. Is that how it's pronounced? I believe it's Casas. Casas. Oh. I don't really know either. So Tristan Casas, uh, he's a third baseman slash first baseman. He's a big boy. 
he's a power bat. He played on the USA 18-year-old uh, team this past year. Um, looked really good. He was uh, ranked as high as 20 uh, in the pre-draft rankings. Um, guys, what were your impressions by this pick? Power. They were looking for power throughout this draft. It's pretty clear. Um, and I think there's a little bit um, – his hit tool concerns are a little bit overblown. I don't think we're dealing with, like, Bobby Dalbeck here. But, uh, I mean, the power is what's going to make or break him. He's probably going to end up at first base. I wouldn't be surprised if they give him some a little bit of time at third base to see if he can do it. But he's probably going to be a first baseman, and if he – reaches something close to his power potential it's not going to matter where he plays because he can mash yeah it seems like his hit tool concerns are not that scary uh, if that makes any sense it, it just seems like he's got really good pitch recognition um he sort of has a plan at the plate it's not like he's going up there and just hacking um it seems yeah. like him and the second pick, Nick Decker, both have a little swing and miss in their games, but both have a pretty advanced understanding of the strike zone. Yeah, um, it kind of depends who you talk to. I've talked to some people who definitely are not um, as big of fans of Casas as the Red Sox, who didn't really think he was a first-round pick. Um, they think that he kind of has a long uppercut swing that uh, pitchers are going to take advantage of if he doesn't change it. <clears throat> but other people think that he's going to have at least an average hit tool, maybe even a little bit better than that. So I think you kind of have to give the Red Sox the benefit of the doubt developing position players because for as much trouble as they've had developing pitchers um, over the last like decade or so, they've been dynamite uh, with hitters. So um, Decker's a little bit more of a concern, but he's also a second-round pick, so... So what were your impressions of Decker, Matt? Outfielder. Outfielder, New Jersey. Um, Mike Trout. Yeah. Yes. He's <laughs> the next Mike Trout. That was my impression. No, he's uh, he's going to play in the corner. He's not a center fielder. And he is, um, yeah, he's all power. Um, like you said, he has a good approach. Some scouts said that he was hard to scout because – New Jersey's not really like Casas is from Florida, so there's a lot of good players there. New Jersey is a little bit more north, where the ta talent isn't as deep. So pitchers pitched around Decker a lot. He was just so much better than everybody else. So he was kind of hard to scout. But I guess if you saw him make contact, you saw the power potential. And again, I mean that's what the Red Sox were clearly looking for in this draft, and they got it here. Brian, what did you think about the Red Sox choice to go with uh, two prep bats for their first two picks? I assert my Fifth Amendment privilege to have Matt answer any and all draft questions. <laughs> um, I mean, no, I, but in serious note, they do draft hitters well. I was going on. <clears throat> excuse me. I was talking online with someone uh, who was ruining their inability to um, – groom pitchers <laughs> that was not intentional uh that's mean yeah yeah but uh they definitely have the benefit of the doubt here uh, yeah I, 
Matt, was this a surprise to you? I'm going to high school? Yeah. Not really. I don't think it was even necessarily a plan. Um, the Red Sox are in a position where they just need to take wherever they think the most impact is. So, I mean, that they were high school, I think, was probably more of a coincidence than anything. If there was a college guy who felt to them that they really liked, I don't think they were going to hesitate to take them either. Um, the thing is, it definitely affected them later in the draft because generally these high school players are going to cost more or they're going to be more likely to sign over slot deals, so they're going to have to save money later. So the Red Sox went really college-heavy for rounds 3 through 10 to kind of save some money at the top. So um, I still kind of like some of the college guys I picked later, but um, picking high school guys early is definitely makes it harder for the next few rounds. Yeah, in the top 15, they only selected four uh, high school guys, including the top two picks there. Um, so that's interesting. It's probably about that slot bonus, like you said. Um, the third pick I found was really Well, they good. went all college, I think, at the second day. Yeah, they three did. Three through ten. That's all that matters. After the – the Emily draft is so weird. I fucking hate the draft. But uh, there's only slot values for through round ten. And so that's really the only places you can save your money. Um, once you get to round 11 and after, everybody gets – or not the, every slot value is 125000 And if you don't go over that, then it doesn't affect your budget at all. Yeah, into that point, uh, one, two, three of those top 10 picks were senior signs as well. So those are – Yeah, that's where you save – yeah, that well, that's where you save the money. Those a lot of those guys will sign for like ten grand, and uh, that's where you kind of you save a shitload of money, and you can bump up here either their first two picks, or they can go down to any pick after round ten and go over that one twenty-five. And they have a few really good players they picked up late that if they can save enough money, that would be a huge boost. I want to talk about their third pick, uh, Durbin Feltman, uh, a relief pitcher out of TCU. Um, this guy has a 70-grade fastball, 70-grade slider. Seems like someone who could move quickly. Um, Matt, how quickly do you think he can reach the show? A lot of people are saying this year. I just – maybe it's true, but I can't – like, I can't bank on that happening. I think he's probably next year – but, I mean, I like this kid a lot. He looks like he could maybe, if everything goes like as well as possible, he could start next year on the team and uh, be a big part of this bullpen for a while. Um, his delivery is, like, outrageous. It's super violent. So I think Keith Law made this point. Um, they're going to get him up as quickly as possible because for as good as he is, that delivery could get him hurt quick. So yeah. you kind of want to get the value when you can. Limited rounds in there. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing I thought about this draft was that they went with two catchers in the top ten. Uh, Cole Cottom and Eli Marrero um, at four and eight. Um, catcher has been one of the places where they've been pretty shallow in the system. Was this uh, sort of something you expected them to do, Matt? Not really. I don't even know um, if Cottom's going to stick a catcher. He split time between catcher and first base in college. Um, it's weird. He was apparently one of the best defensive catchers or seen as one of the best defensive catchers coming out of high school. And then he's kind of gone downhill every year at college. So um, 
the bat they got him for the bat he's another uh power guy who could if if he plays up to his potential it could play at first base and they'll definitely give him a shot at catcher but i'm not sure he stays there marrero i don't really know what to think he's got some character issues that aren't really clear what they are um he started his college career at mississippi state and in his sophomore year he played in like three or four games and then he was he wasn't taken off the team but he didn't play and the coach said it was for off the field issues didn't really expand on that and then towards the end of the season he got arrested for a DUI so he ended up transferring to a smaller school I don't want to like knock the kid because we were all dipshits as sophomore in college but um that's pretty much when you google him pretty much all you can find are the character issues and that's not really a great sign yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens with those two um I think maybe the most interesting player that they selected, though, is the guy they took at 11th, uh, Nick Northcutt. Um, he's going to be potentially a signability problem for them, which is probably why they went with so many juniors and seniors uh, in those 7 through 10 picks, or I should say um, 3 through 10. Um, but he's kind of interesting. He's uh, he's committed to Vanderbilt right now. He's a third baseman and a closer. Um he seems to have sort of that talent level where he could easily be a top 10 pick if he decides to go back to college. Yeah. Um, well, go top to 10, college. Top 10 rounds, yeah. Go to college um, to begin with. So if he goes to college, he's there for a couple of years. Um, I think they're going to sign him. That's kind of the impression I get, especially they picked him in the 11th round, which is the first round where the slot values kind of stop mattering. So I think they feel like they saved enough money and they grabbed him as quickly as they could. Um, so he's committed to Vanderbilt, which is obviously a great, great college program. And I think he's going to be a two-way player if he goes to college. But i kind of cautiously optimistic they're going to sign him and he might be the second best player in their class if they do. You'd have him above Decker? Um, I mean, look, I don't fucking know. But there's some some places have ranked him higher than Decker. Is kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, to provide some context here, Decker was ranked 75th by MLB, 110 by BA, uh, and 84 by or um, 53 by Perfect Game, and Northcutt was 81 by MLB, 69 by uh, Baseball America, and 73 by Perfect Game. So certainly uh, ahead of him on the Baseball America list. I thought it was weird they listed him when they drafted him as a pitcher, but pretty much everybody agrees that he's a hitter. So I don't know why they, if that was just like a mistake, um, because I don't know if people know how the MLB draft works, but the third round is just a conference call and they just like rapid fire picks. So um, it could have just been somebody read something wrong or something. Right. He's definitely a third baseman. Yeah. The tracker had him as a right-hand pitcher, though, which threw me off. Yeah, it's weird. Um, only three pitchers in the top ten this year. A little bit of a departure from what we've seen in the past few years. Yeah, I don't know if that was a strategy they had going in or if that was just how things kind of fell to them. But um, they might feel like they – I think they like the guys that they've picked the last couple of years, even if they haven't all looked great. Um I think they kind of like their low minors pitching depth right now and where 
content of getting some hitters. And even the guys who aren't highly ranked, I like Jaron Duran a lot. Um, Devlin Granberg, their sixth-round pick, is a senior who's going to sign for, like, nothing. But he was one of the best hitters um, in college last year or this year. So um, I think they did pretty well overall. I wonder if Jaron Duran's a Snoop fan. Cal State Long Beach. He's uh he's my kind of dude. He's not a lot of power, but he flies and he plays up the middle and he hits line drives. So I hope he does well. Definitely sounds like a dude. Yeah. Uh Brian, any thoughts on this? Uh I can just say if uh dude goes to Vanderbilt, we know he will be top notch character wise. <laughs> That's a David Price joke. <laughs> I like Glad it. you explained it because I didn't really know where you're going with that. Yeah, I was I was thinking like uh, the Ivy League of the South here. That's uh, sort of what people say about Vandy, but uh, that's interesting. That's what Vandy people say about Vandy. <laughs> that is true. Um, all right, so we do have a couple listener questions today. Uh, we have the first one from Hamby, and he says, "Is Stephen Wright a viable long-term rotation option?" I'm gonna go with you first, Brian. I mean, we don't know. You can bring up these questions when we talk about things earlier in the podcast, too. Uh, yeah, it, we don't know. Maybe. Sure. I mean, he's done it before. He's just, uh, as Matt said, domestic abuser, so I'm not rooting for him. But I want him to do well for the Sox. It's the, yeah, it's it's the, the conundrum it's of sports. Um, yeah, I think when you said um, maybe, I think that's probably the right answer. He might be. He might not be. I have nothing to add here other than I think he's a better option than Drew Pomerantz is, uh, at least. Well, as if Drew back. Pomerantz is throwing 87 miles an hour, I would agree with that. Yeah. He's throwing 91, 92. I wouldn't agree with that. Steven Wright's cheese can get all the way up to 85, so there you go. <laughs> all right, Eck. Jeez. <laughs> I love Eck. Um, next question comes from some guy. Uh, handle some dude um, should the Yankees move to the AL Central it seems unfair that they could win 130 games and have to play in the wild card round is this guy a Yankees fan like what the hell is this question um, the Yankees should move to the sun pal <laughs> no he's a Sox fan yeah move to the sun and disintegrate yeah, yeah. Um, no I think the real answer well if your goal is like ultimate fairness there should just be no divisions. But that's not as fun. Imagine no divisions. <laughs> it goes on from there, but I'll stop. Uh, all right. Well, um, that about does it for the podcast. Brian, that was a great <laughs> song. Um, if you enjoyed the show, you can follow us and subscribe to our show. Uh, do that on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can rate and review us there as well for all of you that have done that. Thank you very much. Um, and you can subscribe to our thoughts on Twitter, uh, at Brian Joyner. And, That's good recovery. <laughs> yeah, at Matt R.Y. Collins are the Twitter handles for these gentlemen. And you can find me at, at DevJake. Also, follow the Over the Monster site on Twitter, at Over the Monster. And we will be with you at this uh a little similar time next week. You could hear the air quotes on that, Jake. <laughs>
Oh, man, not my best clothes. Did you have to laugh at the end just so the closing worked? 